The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now on Bloomberg 99.1. With divided government, what are the political realities? The president is increasingly frustrated. I want to try to cut through the noise. Politically, this is devastating. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. It is no secret that I care a lot about the consumers. There are real questions about big tech. We still have more leverage to use with the tariffs. I think we could do with a little less drama from the White House. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99. And 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Happy Hump Day. What a speech. What'd you think of it? We've got an all star panel covering every corner of last night's State of the Union address, plus where President Trump goes from here with just a few short days to avert another partial government shutdown. All of that with an all star panel. Adrian Elrod, Democratic strategist and former Clinton 2016 presidential campaign director of strategic communications, and Jason Miller, former senior communications advisor to the Trump campaign, uh, and also now a Washington crisis communications advisor. But first, let's get a check of the headlines from Nancy Lyons. Nancy? Thanks, Kevin. Foreign ministers from around the world are in Washington attending a meeting of the Global Coalition to Defeat ISIS. President Trump touted major progress in the efforts to neutralize Islamic State. It should be formally announced sometime, probably next week, that we will have 100 percent of the caliphate. A United Nations report out today, though, refutes the president's view and concludes Islamic State is still the main and best-resourced terror threat. The House Intelligence Committee will be launching a broad new investigation looking at Russian interference in the 2016 election and President Trump's foreign financial interests. Chairman Adam Schiff announced today Democrats are moving ahead with the aggressive oversight that they promised when they took over the majority. Schiff says the investigation will include whether foreign actors have sought to hold leverage over Trump or his family and associates and whether anyone has sought to obstruct any of the relevant investigations. More controversy in Virginia with another top Democrat saying he wore blackface at a college party. Virginia's Attorney General Mark Herring says as a University of Virginia student in 1980, he wore brown makeup and a wig to look like rappers he listened to at the time. And he says as a young man, he had a callous and inexcusable lack of awareness of the pain his behavior could cause. Governor Ralph Northam has faced calls to resign since a racist photo from his 1984 medical yearbook 
surfaced. He says he wasn't in the photo, but that he did darken his face to portray Michael Jackson at a party. Tracy Jonke, Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 HD2. Well, the woman accusing Virginia's lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax, of sexual misconduct has issued a public statement. Vanessa Tyson says Fairfax forced her to perform oral sex 15 years ago, a charge he denies. He said today in a statement at no time during or after did his accuser express discomfort or concern about their interactions. He says it is important to listen to women who come forward with allegations, but he says he cannot agree with the description of events that he knows is not true. Well, the district is changing the way it prosecutes gun crimes after tallying a 40 percent rise in homicides last year. Today, Mayor Muriel Bowser announced that armed ex-convicts will be prosecuted in federal court where the sentences are tougher. She says these felons are to blame for much of the violence. It's a small number of repeat violent offenders that are responsible for a significant share of the gun crime in our cities. U.S. Attorney Jesse Liu of the district could not say how many cases would be shifted, but said adjustments may be made as the federal courts adapt to the extra caseload. Time now for the Beltway Business Report. Here is Bloomberg's Larry Kofsky. Well, Nancy, it was a sleepy day on Wall Street. Investors weighed corporate earnings against concerns over trade and another government shutdown. Lauren Danielson at RBC Wealth Management says the lack of reaction to the State of the Union was a bit unusual. It's just a little bit surprising that, that the State of the Union address really it didn't get any kind of a significant response from the market. I think their investors thought that maybe there, there, there would be. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 21. The S&P 500 fell 6th and NASDAQ Composite slumped 26. In earnings news after the bell, MetLife reports a 38% gain in earnings for its U.S. business. The results beat expectations. A tax windfall helped the company weather a tough market. MetLife is little changed in late trading. JCPenney's effort to return to financial health will see it drop major appliances and sell furniture only online. The changes are effective February 28th. The Bloomberg 99.1 Washington, D.C. area stock index rose two-tenths of one percent. You're up to date on business from the Beltway to Baltimore. I'm Larry Kofsky. This is Bloomberg 99.1. 105.7 FM HD2. Thanks, Larry. This news update brought to you by SEI. With a 50-year history of innovation, SEI's outsourced solutions help achieve lasting success for investment managers, asset owners, private banks, and independent advisors. Learn more at SEIC.com. Global News 24 hours a day on air and at TikTok on Twitter, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nancy Lyons. Now back to you, Kevin. Thank you, Nancy. What a speech. Uh, no matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, uh, the president last night uh, talking on a host of different policy uh, initiatives, laying out his vision for the country uh, and Democrats responding virtually in real time. Uh, Stacey Abrams giving that Democratic response. Uh, I, I was struck by a couple of things. Uh, first and foremost, the theatrics of it all, right? Not the most important part, but there were some brief moments of brevity last night that as I was up there on, in Statuary Hall uh, watching the lawmakers come in and seeing, for example, someone like Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a Democrat from New York, walk in with none other than Senator Ted Cruz, a, a Republican from Texas. I did a double take. I actually did a triple take. And I was <laughs> like, I, I cannot believe that Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and Senator Ted Cruz are walking in, gabbing, talking like they're old friends. And I was just like, good Lord, I wish I knew what they were 
talking about. Very, very interesting. Uh, meanwhile, earlier that day, some other like you know color, so to speak, uh, Senator Gillibrand tweeted out that she went to a spinning class, folks, with Senator Joni Ernst, a Republican from Iowa. They had a selfie. We're going to interview Senator Joni Ernst on tomorrow's show, a Republican from Iowa. All of that stuff aside, President Trump talking about the wall, talking about the partial government shutdown, uh, at one point went off prompter. I'm sure every White House staffer was like, what's, what's he going to say? Uh, and 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 talked to Democrats and, and gave them a shout out for electing the largest female uh, the newest class of women in, uh, inducted into Congress. Uh, and we'll get into all of that later on in the program as well. In addition, of course, to trade policy, U.S.-China trade relations. We'll touch on that. But first, I do want to start with the government shutdown because we do have two all-star panelists to help us navigate through the day after President Trump's State of the Union address. Jason Miller, former senior communications advisor to the Trump campaign, uh, and the former communications director for the Trump transition team, uh, and now is the managing director at Teneco Strategy. Teneo. Teneo. My God, I can't read. I know what Teneo Strategy is. Okay, Kev, haven't slept. Adrian Elrod, Democratic strategist for the Clinton 2016 presidential campaign director for strategic communications. All right, Adrian, let's start with you. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? Of the speech last night? Yeah, about last night. About last night. Well, exactly, because there's more than just the speech, right? Yes. I mean, there's the post, you know, post-speech rebuttal by the Democrat. I thought Stacey Abrams knocked it, knocked it out of the ballpark. Um, I think all three of us can certainly recall uh, quite a few mishaps on both the Democratic and Republican side when it yeah. comes to the, to the responses. There's always risk involved. I mean, Congressman Kennedy, you know, had too much chapstick on and... <laughs> Marco Rubio took a big swig of water in the middle yeah. of his response. Um, I think Marsha, or I forget who it was, but somebody wasn't looking at the camera directly. So there's always risk in, in doing the post-rebuttal, but I think Stacey Abrams was the best I've literally ever seen. Yeah. Plus, she was right on message. You know, she was uh, critical of Trump's policies, but also made it clear, I want, I'm an American, I want to see him succeed. Here are ways that Democrats and Republicans can work together. And, by the way... Um, here is what, here's my life story, here's my mission, and here's, you know, you're going to be seeing a lot more of me in the future. Abrams should run for president. She should jump into that uh, into that crowded Democratic field. I think the more the merrier. I think she'd bring a, a great voice to it. Um, I think we'll see her running for governor or for Senate in Georgia first. <laughs> uh, I can think of a lot of candidates. She'd actually have a better odds-on chance of Let's being the Trump. Democratic nominee. I think with uh, last night, I think the president did what he needed to, and there are a couple of things here. You talk about the setting of a state of a union. For all the politics and for all the beltway nerds or the political aficionados who look at things and want to kind of get to the the snark back and forth or what means uh, what the fact is that's a presidential setting that mm -hmm. you go into on in the house with both of the the house and the senate together and it's your opportunity as a president to not only talk about the accomplishments where you've gotten so far but also lay out your vision of where you want to take the country in president trump's case this next two years but then obviously really looking ahead to the next six and i think when you start looking at last night's speech is the the first campaign speech by President Trump of 2020, put some things in perspective, and here's what I mean. As I said, he had the accomplishments with the forward vision, some of the bigger, broader, unifying themes, but also the president drew a few contrasts that yeah. I think were important. And so we saw the way that he elevated socialism. Yeah, we're gonna talk, we have, we're gonna talk about that later in the program, because that, that was a really key moment, especially with the ascent of Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Right. And in the backdrop of Venezuela. 
And exactly. And so this was President Trump's opportunity to yeah. lay out uh, essentially what his message is going to be heading into 2020. And I think he did that. I think the the base and the supporters liked it. You look at the uh, polling that was done afterwards, both CBS and CNN mm-hmm. had independent polls independent, saying yeah. that the president received a 76 percent approval on what people heard, at least as far as those who are watching it. And I think if you're in the White House, if you're President Trump, you fi- probably feel pretty good today. We're going to do a political pop quiz with the panel. Are you guys ready? Oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. How many times, Adrian, did President Trump mention the word wall or walls during last night's State of the Union address? Oh God, you're putting me on the spot. Um, I'm going to guess 15. 10. 12. 10. But, but, but see, I was struck by this. No, I mean, you know, it was about an hour and a half speech. But, like, but I, I was it struck. It was very long. And respectfully, I would say that. I've grown up watching State of the Unions my whole life. I don't care who is in the White House. I'm like, too long. That in the Oscars. It's always too long. President Clinton's was too long. I know, I know. (laughs) President Trump's was too long. I live for it. Being able to be up there, though, is so much more fun than watching it on TV. I will say. The president relishes. Yeah. those types of moments. I mean, I mean, it's, like, and, and that's one of the things, if you're a Trump supporter and, and many folks, even if they're not Trump supporters, anytime he's speaking or there's a rally or there's State of the Union, it's, it's an event. It's yeah. almost just something that you tune in and what's he going to say? What, is, what I, is he going to roll out? I truly, uh, you know, I'm a reporter. I don't inject my opinion, but I, for me, it was as a reporter, it was very, it was a cool moment to see Republicans and Democrats a couple of times last night, Channing USA. It was like a breath of much-needed fresh air right. on a very nice day or today. But I do want to play what President Trump had to say about the wall. Uh, we're just a, a couple of days away from averting or running into another partial government shutdown. Here's President Trump on the wall. In the past, most of the people in this room voted for a wall. But the proper wall never got built. I will get it built. Jason, he didn't declare a national emergency, which, according to my reporting and the, and the sources that I'm talking with, would have poured some political gasoline on a political situation for leadership and senior Democrats to maybe run into another government shutdown. But from a tonal, strictly tonal standpoint, that was classic Trump. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no way that the president could have declared a national emergency last night for the simple fact that he's the master when it comes to optics and the presentation. And if he had announced that in a room with 250 plus political opponents, he immediately would have been booed. And and why go and give your political opponents the opportunity to boo you? But I think as we look ahead to this next week, obviously there's the rally that the campaign mm-hmm. is going to do down in Texas. El Paso uh, in Beto's uh, hometown. And so uh, I, I'm sure it's just coincidence uh, that they'll, <laughs> they'll be in El Paso. So he can't I, wait I, to run against 20 Democrats. Uh, he'd absolutely love to. But I, I think that I think that the sooner – I think what the president was doing last night was establishing the uh, dynamics for which he would go and call for – a national emergency. And so as a supporter of the president, someone who, who supports the wall and the uh, thinks we need to do something about the, the crisis at the border, I hope that coming out of next week's rally that he declares it soon, because here's what's going to happen with the Sunday shows going every day through next week. We're going to see the countdown ticker up on yeah. other networks uh, that are saying how many hours until the shutdown. And the president needs to move quick and be decisive on this. Um, so this doesn't turn into something that envelops Washington for a week. But here's the thing, Jason, only 25% of Americans, according to multiple polls, support a wall. So if you are President, if you are Nancy Pelosi, if you're Chuck Schumer, 
why would you want to cooperate with President Trump on this? So he's going to continue if the government shuts down again, if he's not willing to, you know, concede to an extent on this. I mean, border security, fine. Additional funding for better technology, border security, fine. That Democrats will work with President Trump on that. But why would Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer have, have any incentivizing mechanism to work with him on this. And so he will yet again be responsible for another shutdown Uh, if he he lets this hold up. I'm sure, Jason, I know you disagree with that, but we got to go to break. Much more on the wall, much more on all of the other dynamics in the president's State of the Union address. Adrian Elrod, Democratic strategist, Jason Miller, former senior communications advisor to the Trump campaign. They stay. Remember, check us out on iHeartRadio. Check us out on iTunes. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. An economic miracle is taking place in the United States, and the only thing that can stop it are foolish wars, politics, or ridiculous partisan investigations. That was President Trump last night uh, during the State of the Union address. He went on right after that uh, to to continue uh, to say that you can't really make deals if you're going to continue to investigate. And that part of the speech did not receive as much applause as the applause immediately after that. And in fact, when I asked Senator Chris Coons, a Democrat from Delaware, right after the speech in Statuary Hall, what he thought of that particular moment, he described it as quote unquote, Chilling, his words from Senator Coons. Adrian Elrod is a Democratic strategist to Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. uh, And Jason Miller, a former senior communications advisor to the 2016 Trump campaign. So they were on very different sides (laughs) of of the debate. Mm -hmm. But we appreciate both of them uh, very much joining uh, me in studio. Great friends of the program. Uh, and, And just fascinating vantage points in the current communicative discourse and look i know you're going to disagree you're each going to disagree with that particular clip that we just played but it is so it that moment for me personally as a reporter is central to the debate we're having in our country right now that that's the marker and jason when democrats like chris coons call that moment chilling why was it smart? And we talked about this leading up on this show about whether or not President Trump would allude to Mueller and allude to these investigations. Why do you think President Trump's inner circle said, you know what, put this line in there? Because that that probably there was probably, I would say, a debate around that around that. Yeah. Although hearing that and hearing the, the construct of the speech, that was probably something that the president himself said, I want to put in here mm-hmm. at this time. I, I can't imagine that one of the folks on staff or the speechwriting team was suggesting here's the perfect place to do it. I think the president, who has a pretty good sense for the uh, the dramatic and sense for timing, looked at it and said, I want to go and say this. And here's the thing that I learned working for the president. I go back to my very first interview with Jared Kushner before I joined the campaign. He said, I want you to take everything you've learned over the past 20 years of doing this and throw it out the window. <laughs> and just forget it. I'm like, well, then why are you guys bringing me on? And he said, because you have to learn to adapt with President Trump, now President Trump. And he looks at things and looks at his opportunities to go and drive his message completely different than anyone in politics or PR, PR or anything ever 
um, are, are going to do. And so when he saw last night, obviously this is an issue that's right in front of him. He knows that as long as these investigations and the, the politics going around this uh, are continuing, that he's going to have a tough time with his agenda. So he took advantage of the opportunity and love him or hate him, he is going to deliver his message and he really doesn't care what the conventional norms might be. Look, I was not surprised, of course, that he was going to use um, a huge platform like the State of the Union address with millions and millions of people watching across the country to talk about the Mueller investigation, to talk about his viewpoints on that. But it was still highly inappropriate. He is the president of the United States. This was not the right setting or the right forum for him to do it. But yet again, I'm not surprised. I, did Clinton mention it? Did, did, Clinton, did President, former President Clinton mention this in the State of the Union? I, for, I truly forgot. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I'll have to fact check myself well, on that. And keep in mind that what the president said last night, I think, was very specific to the committees and the overall investigation. We saw Democrats on Capitol Hill today already launch a number of subpoenas and starting push forward with investigations. But and, you know this, a lot of the country, well, I mean, seriously, not the, the base of the Republican Party, but I mean, there are a lot of Americans who want that oversight. One of the reasons why that. Democrats won but, so successfully in the midterms. But immediately coming out of a speech like last night, as we look mm-hmm. at today's news cycle in the next few days and heading into the uh, next week, the question then goes to which of these policies can you implement? Which of these things can you get done? And in many cases, it will be pure politics that will be holding some of these uh, some of these goals yeah. and objectives up. So that, that's why I think the president looked and said, this is my opportunity. I have the stage. I'm going to go and define the battle lines that this is partisanship. He said, he, the, the other part of that quote, he said, quote, if there is going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. It just doesn't work that way. Sean Spicer called in yesterday, and I I was kind of framing that interview through the lens of speaking with a senior administration official who was working on this State of the Union address. And Sean said, you know, he was working on this right up until literally showtime, which, given my days covering the convention, was another speech where he was working on, I mean, if any, he kind of goes... He, he is very, I think people might be surprised to hear this, very involved line by line when he is on teleprompter. And I I was, I don't want to say, I, I, my gut kind of was like he's going to have to allude to, to these investigations. I think the line that I just read, though, I was struck that it didn't get maybe the response in that room that he had wanted. And I, I'm curious to see how that in fact plays out to me that was a very divisive divisive line and i'm but it is classic trump to jason's point to put it in there and that line was that line was for people at home that were watching that line obviously he's not going to sway adam schiff or he's not going to (laughs) sway jerry adam walks up i agree (laughs) or or maxine waters that was for people at home who then the next day are Mm going to say what are the prospects for infrastructure for Mm -hmm. drug pricing reform and this was his way of of setting the framework for uh, these issues going forward Adrian, what did you think of Speaker Pelosi last night? Oh, I thought she was fantastic. What was with the per the, giant per the usual? Speech? Yeah, but like, but seriously, I mean, there was so much. Uh, we were talking about this yesterday, also with Tom Perez, the DNC chairman. I mean, the pressure. You, Adrian, in the start of the show, kind of alluded to this: the pressure to sit through a ninety-minute uh. address where the cameras are virtually on you. I don't care what 
party you're in. I I mean, I could barely stay awake in class in college. Well, correct. Like, I mean, there there are memes that are created. I mean, of like you know somebody who happened to be maybe blink for oh a split second, and all of a sudden they're it's like you know so and so is asleep behind the president speaking. Um, okay. It is it is does not it is not beholden to one particular particular yeah. political party. It is very difficult to sit back there. And you want to make sure, because, I mean, we all know, we all three of us do television. Yeah. Your facial expressions on television are far more pronounced than they are in person. So if Leader Pelosi even makes a slight, you know, sigh, or even if she, I mean, what if she wants to yawn because uh-huh. it's late at night? Then that becomes a thing, right? So she, look, she's a pro, um, and so is Vice President Pence. I yeah. mean, you've got two pros back there who know the stakes are high. When you're right back there, you're in the shot. It's just the three of you, the Ugh. president, the two of you in the backdrop. But I thought she did a very good job. She's obviously very experienced at doing this. This is not her first rodeo back behind the podium. Um, but it is, uh, it's a difficult task. we got to go to break, but, but this is um, I, I just have to make two quick points. First and foremost, the clap picture. I don't know if you guys saw this. <laughs> of course. That was it. Okay. I don't care what party you're in. She can, That is an awkward shot. I mean, hardly do I think she was like... Let me try to make a snarky image of me clapping at President it Trump. It almost looked like like she was doing shark hands <laughs> yeah, or something. Like, but she wasn't. Bust she out in a baby shark. I, right. I, I, I am giving her a giant pass on that particular picture. Of course. Picture. And the other thing is President Trump's tie. I mean, it was crooked apparently according to Twitter. Do you know how many times – Jason, I'm sure this has happened to you as well. The amount of times I get text message – Fix your tie. doesn't even matter what you say anymore. If your tie's crooked, folks, and you're going on a camera, make sure it's straight. Coming up next, we break down the policy implications, U.S.-China trade policy, and even more on maybe some potential, potential bipartisan areas for Republicans and Democrats to work together. Check us out on iHeart. Check us out on iTunes. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Here are the top stories in and around the district and across the globe. While 2018 was the fourth warmest year on record, British meteorologists are predicting the next five years will be much hotter, maybe even record-breaking. Well, climate change was front and center today on Capitol Hill as two House committees held hearings aimed at overturning Trump administration policies. The Natural Resources Committee invited two governors of coastal states to testify on the devastating weather events their states have lately experienced. Republican Charlie Baker of Massachusetts. If you have farmers or fishermen or resort operators or foresters in your communities, I promise you they are worrying about climate change all the time. Democrat Roy Cooper of North Carolina. It is not too late, but it soon may be. 
to fight climate change. The committee also heard from a panel of climate scientists on Capitol Hill, Irv Chapman, Bloomberg Radio. The political crisis in Virginia is expanding. Attorney General Mark Herring has now confessed to putting on blackface in the 1980s. Herring says he wore brown makeup and a wig in 1980 to look like a rapper during a party while a student at the University of Virginia. This all comes as Virginia Governor Ralph Northam deals with calls to resign after a racist photo was found on his medical school yearbook page. Former Senator Joe Lieberman has been one of the lone supporters of Northam. He was on Bloomberg's Politics, Policy, Power, and Law today and says appearing in blackface is offensive but may not warrant removal from office. It seems to me you don't take somebody out of office or ask them to leave office uh, without giving them what the Constitution calls due process. Also today in Virginia, a woman has gone public with detailed allegations of sexual assault against Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax. Vanessa Tyson says Fairfax forced her to perform oral sex on him in 20... In 2004, Fairfax, who is in line to become governor if Ralph Northam resigns, has repeatedly said the encounter was consensual. Losses today on Wall Street. The Dow was down 21. The Nasdaq lost 27. The S&P was down 6. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli continues. I'm Nancy Lyons. This is Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Welcome back, folks. My name is Kevin Cirilli. You are listening to Sound On, Bloomberg 99.1. We just got on iTunes, so make sure to subscribe to us on Apple iTunes. And, of course, you can also check us out via our friends on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, we were talking with an all-star panel, Adrian Elrod, Democratic strategist, and Jason Miller, former senior comms advisor uh, to the Trump campaign, just about all of the ins and outs, the, pageant the pageantry and the politics and policy of the president's State of the Union address. And so much of this address, uh, yes, focused on some divisive issues like the wall, but on major economic issues and themes as well uh, that have really been the backdrop to the U.S. economy for, uh, for quite some time. Uh, and that's why I'm so thrilled that we have our next uh, guest here today, uh, Steve Passerb. He is the president and CEO of the Toy Association. And before you wonder why we have the president of the Toy Association <laughs> on uh, with us in studio in Washington, D.C., it's actually part of a much broader coalition of business leaders from all over the country who have flown in to Washington, D.C., a flyover, or fly in, a fly in as it's called, a flyover, fly in. Uh, and, and they're meeting with lawmakers, they're meeting with policymakers about the impacts of the president's trade policies. Uh, and, and tariffs and whatnot, uh, particularly as it pertains to U.S. and China. And, and, and Steve, tell us uh, first and foremost uh, a bit about the makeup of the Toy Association and why, why it matters in terms of an economic perspective in this ongoing trade dispute, trade war, whatever, it's called, whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the Toy Association is made up of about 1,100 different toy companies all across all America. The Lego. The Lego, the Hasbro, down to people who literally work from home and every step in between. Yeah. You know, the average price of a toy sold in America is $10. Okay. And the average one of those companies is a small business. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about adding, you know, 10% or 25% to the price of a $10 toy, it's really the difference between whether or not somebody will buy it or not buy it. And that's where like the materials that we're talking about and intellectual property folks, I've got a godson, he's like two and a half years old, Petey Nix, Peter Nicholas, he lives back home in Philadelphia. Uh, and, and so every American knows that they've had to likely buy a toy, but they don't know really what goes into it. 
And so I'm struck by, by your argument and the case that you're making to lawmakers, which is essentially, hey, this stuff with President Xi Jinping and President Trump is actually going to trickle into folks' bottom line when they're trying to get their kid a toy. Well, yeah, and you know, it's an interesting, it's contrast, because we have huge issues with China, huge yeah. issues on intellectual property protection. And what the president is trying to do to get free trade, fair trade, open trade, and deal with the IP issues is exactly what we need him to do. Combined with the Republican-led tax cuts, we're good for business, and they gave our customers more take-home pay. The converse now is we're going to take that back on the other side by our members paying more in the form of tariffs to bring in raw materials to produce their toys, and our consumers paying higher prices at the cash register. See, this is really interesting to me because we had Ted Allen on the other day. Uh, he's, of course, the guy from Chopped on, on mm -hmm. Food Network. And he was telling us about how restaurants are impacted by the by the U.S.-China trade uh, dispute. Uh, and, and you're talking about toys. I mean, I don't think many folks, when they think of intellectual property, they're thinking about the toy industry. So seriously, how, how is IP impacted by, by toys? How does Why does Lego care about intellectual property because that is their brand that is their product and as soon as somebody in china starts knocking it off at poorer quality and lower price the consumer doesn't know that they'll go online in one of those marketplaces they'll buy these products online they'll have a disappointing experience with that product and therefore they'll go online and say oh this is crap this is garbage yeah. when they don't realize they bought the imitation we had a huge issue over the holidays with a kid being grievously harmed by a China toy that was a knockoff of an American toy. Wow. The media immediately went out and said, it's this toy, when in fact it wasn't. In fact, it was a toy that the company had alerted Amazon to six months earlier, and nothing had happened. See, so for us, IP is as much a money issue as it is a safety issue. Well, here's what President Trump had to say uh, last night in the State of the Union address about U.S. and China trade talks. Take a listen to President Trump. I have great respect for President Xi, and we are now working on a new trade deal with China. But it must include real structural change to end unfair trade practices. That was President Trump last night. Steve Peserve is president and CEO of the Toy Association. Basically, folks, any of your kids' toys and the owners of it, this guy's the president of their lobby shop here, or trade <laughs> trade association here in Washington, D.C. If you're in your car right now and you're driving home and you're, you're trying to figure out really how the U.S.-China trade dispute impacts you, you know, when you're going home and, you, and you're tossing a ball with your kids or you're playing Legos or video games or whatnot, I mean, this really could impact you because come March 1st, if the president increases tariffs, on a host of $267 billion worth of goods. The president is headed to Southeast Asia at the end of February. We're in February already, folks. Uh, he might have a one-off with President Xi Jinping. Trade Sec Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin is going to be meeting with U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer in the coming weeks in Beijing uh, to continue these trade talks. What's your message to them? Steve Fisher, what do you want Mnuchin to tell Lue Hua? His, uh, his counterpart in, in China about this. Well, I mean, what we want is what they're seeking. We do want that fair and open trade. We need a level playing field. We need them to, to, to crack down on the bad actors throughout China who are knocking off toys or a million other different consumer products. But you don't products. want more tariffs. We don't want more tariffs because we're now at that limit. Our companies, a lot of them got hit with the third round of tariffs at 10%. Yeah. That 10 goes to 25. It's going to really injure them seriously. If we end up with that threatened fourth tranche of tariff, when there was the border adjustment tax, we had done the math. And there were about three 
300 of our companies that would either go out of business or simply choose to go out of business because their profit margins were erased. All right, Jersey guy, West Virginia University alum. Steve oh, you Pistone, said that out loud. President, hey, I'm from Delco. It's, <laughs> you know, we thick as thieves. President and CEO of Toy Association. He stays. Panel stays. We're talking politics, policy. Check us out on iTunes and iHeart. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. I thought it was fabulous because it shows that we've gotten under his skin. He sees that everything is closing in on him. That was Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a Democrat from New York, responding last night to the moment when President Trump, during his State of the Union address, said that Americans would not stand for socialism. We have an all-star panel Adrian Elrod, Democratic strategist, Jason Miller, Republican strategist and former senior communications advisor to the Trump campaign, uh, and Steve Passer, president and CEO of the Toy Association. Uh, Adrian, what did you think of, of that response from, from AOC about socialism? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think to, to a, f- a certain faction of Democrats that'll play well, but I don't know. I'm, what, do you, what do you think? Yeah, look, here, here's, first of all, I admire AOC a lot, and I think that she has brought a lot of energy to our party, and she represents a sector of the Democratic Party. Um, but not all Democrats are socialists, and that is what Republicans, <laughs> Jason my friend Miller Jason, is loving this. my friend Jason, on my, face right now. my friend Jason next to me um, would love to think that I'm a socialist. My <laughs> friends who are Democrats are socialists, but we're not. Most of us aren't. Um, but here's the other thing I want to say about about AOC, and this is something that I think Republicans mis, um, m- misunderstand about her and Democrats, too, and that is the power that she has with her supporters and yeah. her followers. Axios just did a study that came out, I think, about a month or six weeks ago where they looked at all politicians and their – they, they had a very, you know, fancy algorithm that they use, but they looked at all politicians who are active on social media and who basically are able to engage with their base and get their base to do what they want them to do. No surprise, your former boss, President Trump, was first. AOC was a close second. Everybody wow. else, Kamala Harris, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, everybody else is way, way down the aisle. She will be sought after for her support, Money. for her fundraising prowess for her endorsement during the presidential primary but again most democrats are not socialists and this is and and there is a (laughs) there there are republicans out there and some democrats who frankly are trying to demonize her as being you know representative of, of our entire party but that's just not the case is a strong Trump supporter and a Republican. I thank God every day for AOC. Oh, wow. I, I think it is so fantastic she's there. And uh, obviously, I hope President Trump gets reelected in 2020. And if he does, he's going to need to send a big, huge thank you uh, to AOC and some of the other avowed socialists in, in the party. Here's, here, here's the reality of the, the leftward lurch that we've seen with the Democratic Party. Recent polling came out showing that for Iowa Democratic caucus goers, the term socialism actually has a higher rating than does for capitalists. It's it's a positive term in democratic That's primary really politics in Iowa. Now, again, in caucus politics, that was Iowa specific, but it does show, and the, the headline uh, spoke to this, that there's a leftward lurch that's going on. And, and that's natural after having a, being in the minority uh, for a couple of years, and Democrats want to get the White House back, of course, going into it. But I think last night, the way that President Trump was able to elevate 
the term of socialism, and so now that is something that people will be talking about and debating. Look, we're talking about it right now. Yeah, no, and the and fact we should that, be. The fact that we're talking about socialism and the policies that go with it, this goes into what I, I think President Trump did with the genius of how he framed uh, how we frame the issues going forward, and I think AOC is going to have a, a seat in the front row for that. But I, and I just want to weigh in here really quickly. I mean, it's not that a lot of Democrats are trending, or maybe you know the Iowa Democrats in particular, the caucus goers, are trending. They want to become socialists. They are more concerned about the fact that Medicare for See, all, that's for example, what I agree with. Medicare for yeah. all. It's not that people are saying you know they don't we want to do Maduro this because we want to be more left leaning. It's because they are literally looking at. The healthcare system today. They don't want to repeal Obamacare because they're afraid that then they Policy. won't have anything, but they want to improve it. And they think to themselves, if we can get Medicare for all, that means I don't have to worry about like paying for my parents' health care. I don't have to worry about paying for my health I mean, right. you know, not just basic health care. I'm talking about exceedingly right. expensive health care costs. So it's not because they are saying, we want a more we want a communist or a socialist society. They're saying we want to be able to freaking live our lives and have health care. But that so that and that's gonna be the nuance, I think, the next stage of this debate is whether or not someone like AOC can clearly sell the difference between the Maduro faction of, of socialism in Venezuela versus the type of policy but, perspective. That's right. But the one quick thing I'd say is that if you're Debating strains of socialism, then, or you're yeah. trying to explain that's it? a debate. You're, Jason you're, Miller wants to have every day. I want to have every day. And twice I want to on bring Sunday. it back to policy in terms of, of of the particular moment and stick to the policy, particularly through the lens of what we're seeing of globalization. Because uh, uh, Steve Pisser, president and CEO of the Toy Association, when you look at the last night's speech from a policy standpoint, what did you hear from President Trump that you liked? Or, and that you would like to see more of or less of? Well, I think as a Rockefeller Republican, essentially, I'm the one who makes everybody upset because I <laughs> see both sides of the aisle here. <laughs> I think the key thing for me is is looking at the business community yeah. where I come yeah. from. Business thrives on certainty, and we're in a period of time right now where uncertainty, the cloud of the debates, are we socialists, are we this, should we be going this way or that way, are beginning to slow our business community. We need, we need to be having a discussion about how do we make our country stronger, and we do have that discussion going on. And the president wants to see our country being stronger. But you have to realize that these debates, the uncertainty, the tariffs, we don't know where we're going on these things, are causing business people to not know how to plan the next one, two, three, four years of their business, which they have to do regardless of who's going to be president in yep. 2020, whether or not this president gets elected. So what we would like to see more from, from this administration, from the political debate, is what does this mean for the business community's ability to be profitable, to provide jobs, to flow money into communities to, to get better educated people. You know, we've got a huge gap in high-quality manufacturing jobs in this country that we can't fill because the people aren't educated. Those are the kind of issues that I want to try to surface out of this. I didn't hear a lot about those type of things last night. It was more about the world and the other side. I'm more concerned about the people here in the United States, how we're going to up their education level, how we're going to get them into these high-level manufacturing yeah. jobs so we can compete with those other nations. All right, I want to thank our panel, Steve Pisser, president and CEO of the Toy Association, Jason Miller, former uh, Trump camp communications advisor, Adrian Elrod, former Hillary Clinton campaign advisor. I'm Kevin Surly. That's it for me. I could talk with this panel all day. We didn't even get into the, the old debates. I want the, the, the gossip. I'm Kevin Surly. You're listening to Sound On Bloomberg 99.1. 
To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.